Well, good morning. I'm on, I can tell. Whew. My name is Al Hicks, and I am not the, the pastor here, so if you're joining us for the first time today, I'm not the pastor, as you heard, our pastor is in Senegal on a mission trip, and thank God that he is, and also thank God he's coming back. I want to share with you uh, parts of an article I read this week that um, really surprised me. It was about millennials and how they deal with stress and anxiety. Now, before I go too far, this is not a condemnation of millennials. All of my kids, all four of them, are millennials. But it says, according to the American Psychological Association, the APA, Millennials have and exude about 50% more more anxiety than previous generations and certainly way more than is healthy. So their conclusions as to why they have more stress were a few things. Number one was helicopter parenting. Number two, exposure to dynamic change. I don't know what that means. High levels of competition. Then limited interventions with health care providers. Now, I found it also very interesting that this article gave no conclusions as to what to do, except that medication was the number one thing prescribed. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we... We love you. We come to you today humble. Lord, you are God. We are not. Yet, Lord, I know that we sometimes, and you know that I do, I act as if I am God. Thank you for not letting me get away with that. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son Jesus who died on the cross for my sins. Not only my past sins, my current sins, and my future sins. Lord, you made a provision for all. Lord, I just love you. I thank you. Lord, you know that you are in control of all things, and we act as if we are. Lord, help us to learn today. Help us to apply your word into our lives so that we are doing the right thing, the right way, the way that you intended. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, the conclusion that they had was of no surprise to me. The American uh, Psychological um, Association, I couldn't think what the last day was. Um, And the reason I wasn't uh, surprised is that they are coming at things from a non-Christian, non-biblical way. They are coming at it from a secular or a humanistic worldview. What do we do as if we're in charge? And when we start going down this path, we learn what to do as if we're God, but we will not have the results of God because we are not God. You know, my dad used to say that the only thing worse than a fool is an educated fool. And we prove it every day, right? Okay, so let's not blame the millennials, though. We've got to be very careful that we don't do this. Let's recognize something very important, that we parents kept 
our kids from failure. It was we parents who invented the participation trophy. They didn't, they didn't, you know, they didn't produce those. We did. It's us parents who took God out of school. It's us parents who quit going to church or quit going to Bible study. We also per, uh, replace God with ourselves. Let me take care of you. Is it any surprise that we got what we got? You know, when I was young, and I know that a lot of young people hate hearing this. Uh, another story about how it was when you guys were old, or when you were young. Yeah, I know. But, understand this. My parents were church-going parents. They were Bible-studying parents. They were Bible-quoting parents. So I didn't grow up in a secular worldview household. I grew up in a biblical world house, or, uh, household. They also then had me read it. And it came a point in my life that I either had to accept it or reject it. Everybody has to deal with Jesus Christ. You either accept him as your Lord and Savior or you refuse him as your Lord and Savior. And if you don't know about him, you, your first tendency will not even have anything to do with him. The Bible says that Jesus first loved us. Not that we loved him first, that he first loved us. So I accepted Christ as my Savior. The reason I accepted Christ as my Savior is because I realized I could not save myself. I tried. That doesn't work. You know, when you keep banging your head against a wall, pretty soon you either got to go or you got to give in to the wall. There's a better way. You know, it's funny. I, I look out today. And I see kids, young kids, I see grandkids, right? And I'm shocked at what I see. Now, this probably isn't going where you're thinking. I see kids riding bikes, and I swear they're coming right from a Star Wars movie. They have helmets and gear as if they're fighting Darth Vader. And they're trying to ride a bike. Imagine trying to ride a bike with all that stuff on you. You know what we learned when we rode a bike? We fell down. You know what we found out when we fell down? It hurt. You know what we learned after that? Not to fall down. Or if you're going to fall down, you fall in the grass because the cement hurts a lot worse. We also found out that trees don't move. We move to the tree. I find it amazing. What do we teach our kids? Load them up so when they hit the tree, nothing happens. Pretty soon they're going to see the Michelin man riding bikes out there. Think what we've taught our kids. We've taught them to fear riding a bike. Not the fun of riding a bike, the fear of riding a bike. Now, I'm not here to say that I want my kids to go through danger. I want to protect my kids. But I look at what we're doing, and I think we're nutsos. You know, look at what we put our kids in when they go in the car. I picked up my grandson the other day. I could hardly pick up the stupid carrier thing. How old is he? Seven months? Something like that, yeah. So, you know, and I thought, you know what I, I realized? We, build, we have these carriers as if they're 
they're going to be in a race car going on the Indy 500, yet they're in a Ford Prius or a Toyota Prius. I mean, they're not none of that. We protect them as if everything is going to happen to them, like there is no, we're not going to find any little thing that might go wrong. I grew up riding in the back of a pickup truck. I drank water out of a hose. Sometimes it was really gross. You know, when the hose has been laying out outside all day, and it's hot, and you put the water through it, and you drink it right away, you know, that's hot water. You learn, okay, don't do that. Let it run a little bit. I also learned you don't drink out of a mud puddle. I tried that once. I got sick. And what do we try to do with our kids? Protect them from everything. We are incapable of protecting them from much. We cannot protect them from death. You know, we had a friend that we wanted to go to our, we had a cottage up north, and we asked them if their kids wanted to come with ours, and she was really concerned that their kids might happen, something might happen while we're up there to her kids when she wasn't there. And Sally responded, you know, if God wants to take your kids, he's going to take when you're there or you're not. She said, yeah, you're right. So the, the kids came up with us, and by the way, it was just me and the boys and their boys. No Sally. No thought of danger. So what happens? Right away, one of her kids falls, splits his chin open on the cement. But we had fun, I'll tell you that. Now, I also want to tell you what happened to me, because I find this stuff pretty humorous, and and then to think about what we did and then think about what we're doing. When I was, uh, I think, 11 years old, maybe I was 10, um, I had an encounter. I was riding my bike, and I had an encounter with a car. And the car wasn't a plastic car like today. It was a metal car with a full chrome bumper. And I ran into that car with my bike. And the car didn't even notice. So I went home. You know, my um, handlebars were this way, but the tire was this way when I was done. You know, I landed up on the car after I hit it. So I went home, and I I hurt my shin. I cut my shin, and I... um, You know, I think my elbow really kind of hurt, but more than anything, my ego was bruised, right? Because I couldn't couldn't fix my bike. So I took it home to my dad, and I said, look what happened. He goes, what did you do? I said, I hit a car. And he said, was the car moving? I said, no. He looked at me. He said, well, did it suddenly just kind of jump out at you? And I go, no. He said, well, tell me what you did. I said, well, you know, Dad, I was riding down the road, and I was going really fast, and then I went no-handed, and then I decided to put my hands back on the um, handlebars, and I put my feet up on the seat, and I stood up, and then took my hands off the handlebars, and it veered right into that car. You know what he said? Well, that'll learn you. My mom heard that, and she just laughed. I mean, there was no, oh, you poor thing. It was, well, what are you doing? Right? So dad taught me 
how to change, and he had to loosen up the little nut and, right, and fix the handlebars. But how many of you millennials or older learned to drive, ride, I'm sorry, a bicycle and then learned to ride it with no hands? How many of you learned to ride it with no hands and could steer all over the place? I remember eating an ice cream cone riding down the road with no hands, pedaling my bike. But what did we teach our kids? Don't do that. That's scary. You might get hurt. All, we're do, all we did was just instill fear into our kids instead of importing them, imparting them with some confidence. You are going to fall down. What we told them is, don't fall down. We've got to protect you from falling down. Well, what the heck is that? I just find it very, very interesting. Okay, now... Um, let me get, I got to keep on pace or I'll be here all day. By the way, as you know, I'm a talker. And so this sermon will be done when I'm done talking. Oh my goodness. Hopefully I get hoarse, my wife is saying. Now we need to look to see what the Bible says about anxiety, about worry. But before we go there, There is a solution in the Bible for Christians. You do not get this solution if you are a non-Christian. So this is for us Christians. And if you're not a Christian, man, I hope you want to give your life to Christ. There's also a warning whenever we read the Bible. And the warning is, if you didn't know what it said before, you can claim ignorance. But once we read it, can't claim ignorance anymore. You can only claim sin. If you decide to not do what the Bible says, you are sinning. Do you realize that 12 times, 12 times now, in the Bible it says do not worry or don't, do not be anxious? 12 times, one for every month. It's a great reminder. 365 times the Bible says fear not, one every day. So let's read Philippians 4, 6. I want you to turn there. And I want you to turn there so that you have this ammunition in your uh, quiver, if you will, so that when you go to talk about this later, you understand what the Bible actually says. So Philippians 4, 6. Either turn with there or scroll to there on your device. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him. For all he's done. So the key word there is to pray. You're to pray about big things. You're to pray about little things. You're to pray about everything. You know, I'll never forget one time uh, we were taking prayer requests. And one of the guys in my class raised his hand. And then he put it back down and and kind of put it back up. and, And I said, what is it? And he said, you know, never mind. It's so little. 
And I said, you got to be kidding me. That's exactly what we have to pray to God about. It's the little stuff. Why is the little stuff important? You better get this. If you aren't going to pray about the little stuff, you're going to delay in praying about the big stuff. You know what happens when you don't pray? You worry. And when you worry, what do you do? Then you start doing things, thinking things. You start doing things that God's never asked you to do. And then you kind of screw it all up. Now you're all embarrassed. Now you've got to go back to God and ask for forgiveness for the things you do and start praying about it in the first place. What a waste of time. I mean, what we do is insane. Pray about the little stuff. You know, I'll never forget the time that I prayed about buying a VCR. And I remember thinking, wow, I don't think I've ever prayed about something so stupid. But you know what happened when I prayed about that VCR? No, VCR is a video cassette recorder for you. <laughs> I was praying about which one to buy. But while I was doing that, I went to a store, and that store was closed. I couldn't believe it was closed. On the, the hours on the store where it was a Saturday, it was supposed to be open, but it was closed. So then I went to another store. And guess what I found in that other store? The guy that I came to find in that other store was over here now. And not only was he in the appliance department, he was also selling Christian children's videos. I remember thinking, you have got to be kidding me. So I said, hey, I'm going to buy this VCR. What do you think he looks at? He goes, that's a great one. But these videos are what you need to play in it. Thank God I prayed about that because I never would have ended up where I was. And those videos became very important for our kids to watch, right? Okay. We need to pray faster, sooner than what we're praying now. We've got to understand what prayer is. Prayer is simply talking to God. We replace prayer with thinking. Thinking isn't prayer. Worry isn't prayer. Anxiety isn't prayer. Doing things isn't prayer. Prayer is prayer. And it says pray about everything. It doesn't say work around everything. It says pray about everything. I find it interesting that I have a desire, I am a high-strung guy, Surprise. That I like to do things. I like to find solutions and do. Let's do. And pretty soon I find myself doing something that God's never asked me to do, and I look like a dork out there. You know, I'm a lot like Peter. Remember when Peter, when they came, when Judas came and um, turned Jesus into the authorities? He betrayed him. He came up and kissed him on the cheek, and that was a signal for the authorities to take him, the Roman soldiers to take him. And if you remember what Peter did, do something, got to do anything. So he cut the high priest's assistant ear off. And Jesus said to him, first he didn't say much, he put it back on because it was miraculous. Then he looked at Peter and gave him a look like, what are you doing? And Peter went, whoop. That's what I would do. But you also see there's people that aren't 
that are not like me, that are not high strung, that are, are, are very even keeled, but they're task oriented. And they oftentimes don't do but worry. Doing what God doesn't want you to do and worrying is the same thing. It is sin. It is going against what God wants you to do. We have to remember that prayer is prayer. God's word is complete. He doesn't say just don't worry. That's what humans do. Don't worry. Okay, so what am I supposed to do with this? Bible says don't worry. But it says pray. Instead, we are to pray. You know, when you worry and decide to worry, it's against God's word. It's, it is sin, right? And so, you know, um, <laughs> I'm a different guy. There is a reason that there is only one spouse for me. That's Miss Sally. The reason there's only one is because I'm too screwed up to have any more than one. There's one. But we have this thing. We've been married 37 years. She looked at me like, what do you think? I think, I think that's right. But we have our ways of communicating that are effective for us. So one day she said to me, she said, you know, I'm so worrying about, so, I'm worried so much about this. What was my response? Well, just keep on sinning and see how that goes for you. She got it, though. It wasn't like it was an insult to her. She got it. It came from me. Now, I don't recommend you say that to your spouse. But, you know, I'm no better. I mean, to think that I'm somehow, I'm excluded from worry. I'm not. None of you are excluded from worry. Naturally, we worry. But God says, supernaturally, give it to me. Now let's read verses 6 and 7. So I'm going to read 6 again, and then I'm going to read 7 with it. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which is greater than the human, uh, the human mind can understand. His peace will guard your heart and your mind as you live in Christ Jesus. You only get that if you live in Jesus. If you do not not have Christ as your Savior, you don't get this. Man, I want you to get this. But it's a byproduct of salvation in Christ. And we look for it in everything. Everybody wants peace. We want, you know, if you go to a beauty pageant, what do you want? I want world peace. You know what world peace is? Absence of conflict. Can you think of anything in your life that you have that there's absence of conflict? It's an unreal, it's it's fantasy. You know, it's pixie dust and castles. That stuff just doesn't exist. Absence of conflict is, or I mean, conflict is everywhere. Absence of conflict is nowhere except in heaven. We are not in heaven. We are on this earth. 
So we get God's peace. You know, the world's peace is temporary, but people are looking for it everywhere. They're looking for it in drugs, sex, and rock and roll. They're looking for it in all the wrong places. But they think that somehow, if I drink myself away, all this conflict goes away temporarily. But there's no peace in that. There's just some, a time of absence of conflict. You know, we even sing a song that says, He is our peace. He is if you're saved. If you are saved and He's not your peace, what are you doing? You're worrying. He never asked us to do that. All right, turn with me to 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. First Peter 5, 6 and 7. It says, humble yourself under the uh, mighty power of God. That's to Christians. And at the right time, he will lift you up and give you honor. Cast all of your anxieties and cares on God because he cares for you. Wow. What does the word cast mean? It is not a fishing term. It is not cast and retrieve. It is not that. The word cast means to throw with vigor. And I think of uh, a childhood, a young boy, a schoolboy, that on Friday when he comes home from school with his books, he, <laughs> he casts them aside. He doesn't want to pick them up until Monday when he has to. That's what we're to do with our sin. That's what we're supposed to do with our worries, cast it aside. You know, a long time ago, when Gideon was in high school, we had a, uh, uh, we had a bunch of the kids from the youth department over, and um, there was a, um, a project. I'm not using really the right word, but uh, one of the things that all the kids had to do was go and grab a rock. Some gra- kids grabbed little rocks, some kids grabbed big ones. And then we went out on the boat, and then that rock or that stone symbolized sin. And a recurring sin, a sin that you felt like you couldn't get rid of. And then you were to pray and cast that rock out into the lake. And we went out to the middle of the lake where it's deep. The reason we went out there is because you can't get it back. And what do we do with worry? We cast it, and then we retrieve it. That is not what we're called to do. We are to cast it upon God. When we retrieve it, what are we doing? This is very important. When you retrieve it, you are acting as you are God. God never asks you to take on that role. You somehow think that you can deal with it better than what God can. God's never asked you to deal with that. He's asked you to cast it upon him. He's worthy to take it. You are not. I am not. (laughs) You know, I want you to remember this. When we decide 
to worry. I want you to remember these words. How dare you? How dare you take on God's role? How dare you think you can handle it better than God? Who do you think you are? We are born-again Christians, if you are. And we are to submit to God, not overrule him. How dare you? So when you start to worry, I want you to think, how dare I? Oh, yeah, you're right, God. What is it that God said to Peter, what Jesus said to Peter? When he said, I, Peter said, I will stand up for you. I will defend you. Jesus said, get away from me, Satan. He said, because not only that, you're going to deny me three times. And he said, deny you? I'll never deny you. That's when he said, get away from me, Satan. So how dare us? The problem with worry is worry is sin. The Bible says a little yeast, a little sin, spreads throughout the whole batch of dough. You know, when worry, worry starts off, it's like a trickle of a stream. But it doesn't take but just, a, just a, a second for it to turn into a raging torrent. And pretty soon you can't breathe, your heart's pounding, you're sweating. And that is not what God has for you. That's what you've decided to take to you. Do you realize that you choose anxiety? Now, I know there's some people here saying, no, you don't understand. When I get a panic attack, I didn't choose that. I understand what you're saying. What I'm saying is that when you decide to worry The end result of that is almost always anxiety. You chose to worry, and then the response from that is anxiety. You're choosing it. Remember what Jesus said to Martha and Mary? Jesus was walking down the road with his disciples, and Mary and Martha, they came to Martha's house, and Martha was going to prepare a meal. And Jesus started teaching and and, and talking to his disciples. And it was Mary that came and sat right at his feet. And Martha became so involved with the task that she had to do, she forgot about Jesus, and she got mad at Mary because she was sitting at his feet, not preparing the meal like she was doing. She even went to Jesus and said, Jesus, would you tell my sister, Mary, that she should work and do like I'm doing? And this is where Jesus said, Martha, Martha, Mary chose the better thing. In other words, you chose the other thing. She chose the better thing to listen at me and be at my feet. I am not going to take that away from her. We choose anxiety whether we like it or not. When we're a born-again Christian, we should have the peace of God, not the worry of the devil. And we screw it up all the time. You know, worry is something, and by the way, the Bible doesn't say to ignore the worry, to tamper down the worry, to drink the worry away. It doesn't say that. It says, cast the worry. So you're going to have worry. 
We're to cast the worry to God because he's the one who can handle it. The sooner we do it, the better the consequence. There is always a consequence for disobeying God. When we decide that we're going to take on worry, what do we get? We get anxiety. And there's always a consequence for obeying God. When we obey God and cast it to him, what do we get? Peace. God always takes, he asks us to give him something. We give it to him, and he always replaces that with something that's ten times better. He says, give me your worry, and I'll give you peace. Yet what do we do? We take the worry and don't get the peace. Now turn with me to Matthew 6. And I want to read um, verse 34. Matthew 6, verse 34. Excuse me. It says, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring about its own worries. Each day has enough trouble on its own. But we also must read the preceding verses to really get a better handle on this. So turn with me back to verse 25. In verse 25 it says, That is why I tell you not to be anxious about your life. What you will eat or drink or what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothes? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you more valuable than them? You know, if you are uh, a person today who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, and you believe that the world is dying and that human beings are the problem, you have ignored what the Bible says. And the Bible says that we are supposed to have, we humans are having dominion over the world. And he set it up right then that the humans are more important than the other animals. You may not like that, but that's what the Bible says. Let me read on. Verse 27. And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory wasn't dressed as beautifully as they are. And God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and gone tomorrow. He will certainly care for you. Why do you have such little faith? Verse 31 says, So don't be anxious about these things, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Now, follow me. Read this carefully, what this says in verse 32. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows your needs. But seek the kingdom of God first above all else, and he will give you everything you need. See, if we don't put God first, we will then do exactly what the unbelievers do. 
We are called to be a light into the world, not like the world. God has a plan for each one of us. God is a purposeful God. He wants you on purpose. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says that you are saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest any man boast. Unless, In other words, if I got saved, it'd be easy for me to boast and say, well, if I can do it, you can do it. If we're up to me, right? If I could somehow save myself. But then it says in 2.10 what? But you are saved for the works planned for you long ago. That's your purpose. That was God's purpose for you. When we worry, we're not doing God's purpose anymore. God's purpose for us is to have peace and to make impact in the world. When we decide to worry and have anxiety, we make no impact in the world because we're just like the world. God has a desire for us that is so much greater than we even understand. The peace that he gives is so much greater than I can understand. So I want to go back and I want to read Philippians 4, 6, and 7. You don't have to turn there again. I'm just going to read it again. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything the human mind can understand. His peace will guard your heart and your mind as you live in Christ Jesus. Now turn with me to John 14, 27. John 14, 27. John 14, 27. It says, peace I leave with you. My peace I leave with you. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. Let, your, let not your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. You know, some of you might be thinking, Al, you, you, you don't know what's going on in my life, and I don't. But God does. Some of you got little things going on that seem big. Other, things, other of you have really big things going on. But God knows it. And that's why God's asked you to pray. He said, tell, tell, tell God, the Bible says, tell God everything that you need. And when we pray to God, we are saying, God, you are in the position of authority. You are sovereign, and I am not. I am limited, and you are unlimited. I don't know it all, but you know it all. You're omniscient. Lord, you're all-powerful. You're omnipotent, and I'm not. All I know is what I know. That's all I know. But God, you know it all. You, don't, you not only know what I know, but you know it all. When we pray to God and we admit our dependence on him, the Bible in James 4.17 says it so greatly. It says when we, when we call on God and admit our dependence on him, he lifts us up and gives us honor. God doesn't you know, jam us down and put his th- foot on our throat and say, yeah, I told you. No, it says when we admit our dependence upon him, he lifts us up and gives us honor. This is an all-powerful, all-loving God that is a just God. 
He is just because he loves. He loves because he's just. And it says when we, we, we can count on God to forgive us of our sins because he's a just God. Because he says, if you follow me, I will forgive your sin. He is a just God. So we also have to remember this. His peace is not a request. It is not a demand. It is a gift. A gift to believers. We've got to start acting like believers. What are we going to do to our kids? We keep going down this path. We're going to insulate them. They're going to be the Michelin man trying to ride a bike. What's the next generation going to do with them? Where are we going? You know, we become insane and it produces insanity. And insanity produces more insanity. God's not asked us to produce that. God's asked us to what? Pray. Our role is pretty simple. But we get our role and God's role confused. And we take on God's role, I'll say it again, how dare you? How dare I? God does not command us to worry. He commands us to pray. He says to cast your worry. And by the way, you're going to have worry. You're not going to, you can't not have worry. We're human beings. He said, I want you to have, or when you have worry, I want you to cast it. You're going to have it. You're not going to get away from worry. You just have to deal with it rightly. And by the way, do you know why he says worry about nothing but pray about everything? Because we will worry about everything. We are anti-God. Right? We were enemies of God before we got saved. We are anti-God. So naturally, what do we do? We worry. So he tells us not to. How do I not worry? You give your life to Christ, number one. Number two, then you pray to the God who saved you. That's what our role is. That's what he's called us to do. Are we going to be obedient to God? Are we going to pray and obey, or are we going to pray and disobey? You know, once you cast it to God and you reel it back to yourself, you've just decided to disobey. It's not what God wants for us. God wants so much better than that. Then Matthew eleven twenty eight twenty nine. 29, that was on the screen today. I thought it was awesome. Come to me, all of you who are, who are weary and burdened or heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and there you will find rest for your soul. You know what anxiety produces? No rest for your soul. You know what a, a person who really suffers from anxiety wants to do? They want to sleep. I'm serious. They want to sleep. God's prescription is rest. There's a big difference between sleep and rest. God wants us to have rest, but we want, he wants us to have rest in him, not in all the other things going on. Vaughn, if you'd come, and the team come. We're going to pray here in a minute. And I know how worry works. I think we're all professional worriers. We worry, and then we can't sleep, and we feels like we have strife. We're tired. We're not rejuvenated. And God said, that is not what I want for you. Yet we somehow claim that. God wants us to have peace. 
So let us pray. Lord, I pray that we have a desire to follow you, to cast our cares, our anxieties, our worries upon you. Lord, help us. You know on our own we're going to mess this all up. Lord, thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to prompt us and to guide us, to remind us of what the Word says. Lord, forgive us for taking on your role. Lord, we're so foolish. We are not capable or worthy of doing your role, but only you are. You know, the more, Lord, I learn about you, the greater that you are. Lord, we don't see you accurately when we decide to worry. You're so much bigger than us. You're so much better than us. Lord, help us to surrender our worry to you. In your name we pray.